0: Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at nine thirty or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible, cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching.
1: From Acts 2, 1-8 and 11-12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for time together and time to hear from Jason, and we pray that you'd bless him and let us be open to what you have to say through him. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. As Nina said, my name is Jason Jackson. I serve as the associate pastor at New Life Church in downtown Colorado Springs, actually at New Life downtown uh, is where I'm at. So Colorado right now where the Aspens are all turning yellow and the weather is like this all of the time. Uh, But it's good to be here. I uh, first met uh, Pastor John and Emily when I was serving as a youth pastor at Believer's Church. Uh, back in late 90s, early 2000s, I think. I can't believe we've known each other that long uh, at this point. It's actually where I met several other people kind of here. I served as the youth pastor there for uh, eight years uh, and then left and went to Asbury Seminary where I did a couple of degrees and then started teaching Hebrew there, which is where John and I reconnected uh, as he was taking uh, biblical Hebrew online and had to suffer through having me as his uh, professor trying to teach Hebrew online, which is just dumb. Um, and then uh, after that, during that time of sort of reconnecting, we got a chance to be coworkers together at Asbury, uh, UMC here in town, where I worked uh, for three years and became coworkers, but not just coworkers, friends. Um, and so it was such a sweet time to spend. Uh, those couple years with John and Emily, and several of you looking around the room. There's so many uh, faces that I got to know because of uh, those three years. And left about three years ago to go up to Colorado and start uh, serving. There. So, but it is an absolute joy to be here with you all. This is actually my fourth trip to Cornerstone. Uh, so, we've been here just twice to worship. Uh, we were here week two. We happened to be back in town. And so, we're able to join you week two when I think it was just one service uh, at the time. And then uh, I preach, I was here in the summer to just worship as well. I preached a Good Friday and then get the chance to be here today. Uh, and I'm excited for several reasons. First of all, I, l- I love John and Emily. And so, um, just being able to be here and to be with them and to be with you all is just a huge gift. Uh, I love this church. Uh, I'm looking around the room and I see, again, so many faces. And I'm so excited about what God is doing here. Uh, I love your vision. Every time that I go on the website or I'm listening to the podcast or see the signs and think about conversations that were three, four, five years ago, about this idea of a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. I mean, that is beautiful to think about. This is what God has called us to. This is what God has invited us to, to be a community of people who have no business being together if it weren't for Jesus, right? And probably wouldn't want to be together if it weren't for Jesus, for like some people in the room, right? You're like, oh, I'm not really sure. Um, but been all brought together, made a family, but made family for a purpose, to be shaped, to be transformed, to be made new by the gospel, by the good news about what has happened in and through the person of Jesus. And not then just to stay as a community just for the sake of us, but actually for the renewal of all things to see what it is that God might do through a community that gives themselves fully over to the work of God in them and the work of God through them for the sake of the world. So I am absolutely delighted to be here just to be a small part of all that God is doing. And I love the fact that you're dedicating an entire year to studying the Bible. I mean, what a better thing to do than to say, you know, we're just going to take a year, the year of the Bible, and we're just going to read through these words and allow the Word of God to seep into us, allow the Word of God to read us and to shape us. And this week, we're actually making the turn from the Gospels, been there the last, I think, month or so, into the book of Acts. So switching kind of into that place from talking about what, it, what was happening when Jesus was enfleshed to talking about what happens to the church that's empowered by the Spirit. As we make that transition through stories and accounts of what happened while Jesus was living and walking and breathing here, to what happens after Jesus ascends and the Spirit gives birth to the church, and to see what happens with the good news about God's kingdom. So this morning, we're going to look, as we read in that passage, with the second chapter of Acts and the arrival of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And what I want us to do today is to ask this very same question that the crowd asked. As they're witnessing what's happening and they're hearing all of these people who have no business speaking in other languages, speaking in languages that they recognize, and they have no way of explaining it. They're like, we're not sure what's going on here. What is this commotion about? How is it that these Galileans are speaking in these languages? How is it that we hear them in our own tongues? We're a bit perplexed and confused. And so we're just going to ask the most obvious question, what does this mean? Like, we're lost. This is kind of defying our categories and our understanding. So I want us to ask that question, what does this mean? Because if we're honest, when it comes to the Holy Spirit... (laughs) We're all a bit confused. Right? There are parts of conversations, there's things that we either read in the scriptures or that we hear from other people or that we've experienced at churches. We're like, yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm I'm not sure what that was. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure how to categorize that or explain that. And I have a lot of questions. And we're not going to be able to answer all of them today, but we'll give a good shot at maybe, like, tackling a couple of things. Uh, For me, I didn't really remember hearing much about the Holy Spirit as a kid. I was sort of casually a part of a church. Uh, My family was nominally Christian in the sense, like, we were Midwesterners in small-town middle America, so that meant you were Christian and not Muslim. Like, that was the (laughs) extent of what I understood. And when the Holy Spirit was talked about, it was always the Holy Ghost, Which I was like, I don't know what that's about, but I think I'm going to, like, go to the other room right now. Uh, But Jesus found me at the end of high school. And about a year later, it was the end of my sophomore year that someone shared the gospel with me. And about a year later, a couple of buddies of mine asked me to go to church with them. And the church they asked me to go to is this, like, wildly charismatic, word of faith, like, rhema-associated church. And I walk in, and there's this, like, collection of people who are thrilled that I'm there. Like, I've never walked into church before and had so many people, like, come and introduce themselves and give me hugs, and they're like, it's teenagers, yes, we're so glad you're here, and then all of a sudden, they start worshiping, like, it's a band, and it's like, wow, this is really different than hymnals, and all of a sudden, I start hearing strange sounds, and people are praying in tongues, I'm like, why are they making these weird noises, I'm just looking around the room. There's lots of people doing this. And then all of a sudden, people start coming forward for prayer. And then there's people like laying on the ground. And I'm like, I I think it's time to go. (laughs) I'd never seen anything like this before. And yet there was something about the excitement of this place. There was something about the love of these people. There was something about their passion for Jesus that I just kept coming back. And honestly, had some experiences in the midst of that community that I still can't fully explain, that I don't know how to categorize. But I do know that I fell in love with Jesus there. And I do know that my life was changed. And out of the midst of all of that, I, my whole life began to kind of take on different direction. And a couple of years later, I found myself at ORU where I just ended up with more questions. <laughs> I was like, I really don't know what to do with this now. <laughs> And had to spend sort of several years kind of thinking and wrestling through what do the scriptures have to say to help me make sense of the Holy Spirit? And perhaps today, maybe you as you're even thinking, and you're like, oh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's certain things that are coming back for you. Maybe if you spent time like in a Catholic or an Orthodox church, maybe you remember hearing about the Spirit as it related to sacraments, to baptism and communion and hearing the, the Spirit being talked about as The Spirit is the one who meets us in the midst of these things, which is part of what the Spirit does. Maybe you were also in like a charismatic Pentecostal sort of situation, and you remember hearing conversations about the baptism of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit or miracles and kind of that emphasis on the sort of unusual things that the Holy Spirit can do. And seeing all of those stories throughout the New Testament and even in the church today of things that the Spirit does that we go, this is amazing. I, I don't have any other explanation for it except this is God doing something through his spirit. Or maybe you spent time in a, like a historic mainline denominational church, and you heard a lot about the spirit in the creeds. And so the creeds, those ancient summaries of the faith that talk about the spirit being the third person of the Trinity. You're like, person? That seems kind of like strange language to use for something called the spirit. And the church has always said that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, however we understand the Trinity. And the Nicene Creed says that he is the Lord and the giver of life. Think about that. The giver of life. You're like, yes, I want to be a part of that, whatever that is. I want to know the one who gives life. Or maybe you've been in other situations where you've heard other things. Maybe if you grew up in a Reformed or Baptist uh, context, you heard a lot about the Spirit as it relates to salvation. The Spirit is the one who brings us to Jesus or the one who justifies us. Or if you grew up in a Wesleyan Methodist sort of context, maybe you heard a lot about the Spirit in terms of holiness, about teaching people to live, again, which is part of what the Spirit does. Or maybe you have no church background at all. You're like, I don't have a clue what any of these words are. And that is okay, too. But we're going to dive really deep into these passages today to kind of see what it is that's happening in Acts 2 and how that first encounter of the church with the Spirit can help us understand who the Spirit is and what the Spirit has come to do. So here we are in Acts. Jesus has been raised from the dead. After he's been raised from that, he spends 40 days kind of walking around, appearing at random places and times, walking through walls, doing strange things, scaring his disciples and teaching them about the kingdom. And then in one of his conversations, he looks at them and says, after these 40 days, I'm going to go. And then he tells them, he's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait there. And then he says this in Acts 1.8, he says, while you're waiting there, you're going to wait there for the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says, I go there, wait for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to empower you. And then Jesus, shortly after, ascends, goes and is enthroned in heaven. And the disciples do what Jesus says. They go to Jerusalem, and they sort of huddle there in a room. And 10 days later... We read this. This is when the day of Pentecost came. They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues As the Spirit enabled them. And as the story goes on, we see that because of its Pentecost celebration is happening in Jerusalem, there's Jews from every nation under heaven that have gathered there. And they hear these disciples of Jesus speaking in these tongues, and they're confused, and they ask that question. What does this mean? And then Peter stands up and he gives like the first sermon other than the sermons given by Jesus, the church is going to give. So Peter stands up and he gives this incredible sermon and the people it says are cut to the heart and they're like, well, now what do we do? And he says, Hey, repent and be baptized and you too will receive the spirit. And then it says 3000 people said yes to Jesus and were baptized. If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, where do you go from there? Like your first sermon, three thousand people come to Jesus. I'm thinking everything after that's going to be a letdown. My first sermon, I think three thousand people left, and there were only three people in the room. You know, but as the impact was negative upon. And here, this stands up, and this is what happens: three people accept the gospel and are baptized. Now, there's several things here that actually can help us understand. Today, I want to talk about four of them, four things that can help us understand what's going on in this passage. First thing we hear is that this is Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek name for an Old Testament festival. It's known as the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks happens in the third month of the Jewish year, so sometime like May, June on our calendar. It happens seven weeks um, after, or 50 days after Passover. If you remember from reading the Old Testament, Passover is a celebration of God rescuing Israel out of Egypt. So they've been rescued out of Egypt, and 50 days later, they're supposed to celebrate Pentecost. Well, in the land, Pentecost is really a celebration of the grain harvest, like, yes, we've got food to eat for the year, let's thank God for that. So that's kind of its original context. But because of its connection to Passover, Pentecost also became associated with Mount Sinai, and this event of God making a covenant with Israel, which also happened in the third month of the year. 50 days after Israel had been rescued from Egypt, God's making covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And so in the book of Exodus, what happens is that God rescues them from Egypt, leads them from Egypt to Mount Sinai, and then we read that God descends in fire. The mountain trembled violently and God spoke. Do you hear the echoes? Fire, violent, trembling, speaking. The writer of Acts is saying he pick up on something here. What happens is, is Moses goes on the mountain and, he estab- and God establishes a covenant with them and gives them the law. Gives Israel the law at this point. A little bit later what happens is, is that Moses goes back up and then he takes a really long time coming down this time. I don't know what he's doing up there the whole time, but the people are starting to get a little bit antsy. They're like, what's happened? (laughs) Is he coming back? Is he like, I don't know with the fire and the lightning and the thunder and stuff, like, what are we gonna do? And they go to Aaron like, uh, we're not really sure. And so Aaron's like, I know what you should do. We should build a golden calf and worship that because that makes sense um, at this point. Like, what else are we going to do? So give me all your jewelry and we'll make this happen. And so which violates the covenant, the law that God has just made with them. And so God says to Moses, you're going to have to go back down and take care of this. So Moses comes back down the mountain. He calls the Levites, the priests to him, and he sends them out with swords. And 3,000 people die that day. 3,000, the same number of people that respond to Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. The echoes here are intentional. See, in the scriptures, the gift of the Spirit in the New Testament parallels the gift of the law in the Old Testament. The gift of the Spirit parallels the gift of the law. The difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not the difference between law and grace. It's the difference between law and spirit. It's not like the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace. The whole scripture is grace, right? The law was not given to Israel and say, hey, you, know what? you need to like, follow this law and then I'll rescue you from Egypt, It wasn't that. He graciously rescued them. He saved them. He delivered them. And then he graciously gave them the law and said, here's what it means to live like free people. Here's what it means to live in right relationship with me and with one another. The law for them was an act of God's grace. The problem was not with the law. The problem was with us. It was not that the law was bad. It was like, oh, wait, there's something going on inside of here that makes the law difficult for us. In fact, the Old Testament prophets like Jeremiah said it this way: God's talking about making a new covenant with his people, and he says, "I will make with the people of Israel after that time, this new covenant, and I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts." It's not that the law is the problem, it's our hearts that are the issue, is I will then be their God and they will be my people. The scriptures especially, Paul is fully convinced that the indwelling Holy Spirit of God is sufficient to produce righteousness in us. That the Spirit of God is able to teach us how to live in a new way. So the first thing I think that the book of Acts wants us to know is that the Spirit is the person who empowers the people of God to live differently. That's what the Spirit has come to do. He's come to empower us to live in a very different way. Recently, Pastor John asked the question: So, do you want to be well? Like, do you want to be well? Do you want to live differently? Do you want to live free and a whole lives? Well, we don't do that, we don't get there on our own. We don't find good and right and whole well living just by trying harder and say, Arr! You know, if I just try harder, I can break this addiction. If I just try harder, then, you know, everything will work out okay in my marriage or my friendships or my relationships. If I just try harder, I'll stop this destructive behavior. If I just try harder. No, this is not about our work. It's about the work of the Spirit in us that we participate in. It's not that God just does the whole thing for us, but he empowers us to be able to say yes, and to live in different ways. We don't get to the places we want to go on our own. We get there because of the Spirit of God in us. And that process of change is often slow, it's often painful, it requires our participation. It usually involves other people which we're like, eh, I'd rather not you know, bring other people into this. That's just how the Spirit works in the midst of that. But it's possible. It's possible to live differently because of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Second thing that we see happening here is that there are Jews from every nation under heaven, 15 different nations or regions are mentioned here, 15 of them. What had happened is that the Jews had been scattered because of the Babylonian exile and other things that they were scattered all over the world, many of them came back, but not all of them. But what happened is when these pilgrimage festivals would come, a lot of them would come back like, yeah, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's go worship. But we live somewhere else. We're going to worship here. But in Pentecost, you had all these people gathered together. And what happens when the Spirit of God comes is that the church isn't able to speak in these native tongues. What's happening here is that the Spirit is removing the barrier that began at Babel. He's removing the barrier that began in Genesis chapter 11. If you remember that story uh, about the Tower of Babel, that the people in the world at that time all had one language. And because they had one language, they were able to do whatever it is that they wanted, including rebelling against God. And the whole story of the tower is about humanity's great rebellion against the ways of God. And so God saw what they were doing, and he said, they were saying, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves rather than making a name for God whose image they bear. Otherwise, they'll be scattered over the face of the earth. Remember what God told them to do? To be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth? They're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to do our own thing here. And God's looking and saying, well, if if people speaking the same language like this, nothing's impossible for them. No rebellion is, is impossible for them. So God comes down and confuses their language and scatters them, causes them to fill the earth. But now what happened is the Spirit overcomes this disunity. But he does so without eliminating diversity. He overcomes disunity without eliminating diversity. They don't all have one language again. All of the languages are still preserved. But somehow they become united. All throughout the book of Acts, what we see is the Holy Spirit removing barriers to community. We see it happening here with language. We'll see it most importantly, removing the barrier between Jew and Gentile, bringing all people together in Christ. See, what the Spirit does is the Spirit comes to establish a multinational, multilingual, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational family for God. That's what the Spirit comes to do. And in doing so, he fulfills the covenant that God made with Abraham, that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham's call came right after the Tower of Babel. Oh, there's disunity. But somehow through Abraham and Abraham's family, God was going to create for himself one family. And he does so through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person who unites us and empowers us to cultivate unity, to actually live together together. See, our challenge is that we live in this highly individualistic culture where we talk more about me than we talk about us, right? Everything is I or me oriented. Our faith we talk about is me and Jesus, not us and Jesus. And I think that's heightened when we talk about the Holy Spirit, that we're often talking about the Holy Spirit in me rather than the Holy Spirit in us. And when it's taken to the extreme, what that means is I have the Holy Spirit, I don't need the church, Right? Why? I don't need church, the Holy Spirit lives in me, so I don't need all of these other people and all of the, you know, the problems and the mess and the you know, drama that comes with trying to live together with other people. So I'm just gonna go backpack on Turkey Mountain and have church there uh, by myself and other people who are exactly like me. Um, but that idea is actually contrary to the scriptures. It's absolutely contrary. You think about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, what are those things for? Uh, love for myself, and patience for myself, and joy for myself. No, it's relationship, right? The fruits of the Spirit are expressed in relationship with one another. The gifts of the Spirit that are talked about, those things like tongues and prophecy and all those kind of things, what are those for? Just so that we can walk around and say, like, well, I have this gift, and I have this ministry because of these gifts, and so, you know, give me a plane, no, the gifts are not given to us for us. The gifts are given for other people to build up other people, to build up the church. The reason we're supposed to eagerly desire spiritual gifts is not for us. It's so that we can serve the body, so we can care for other people, so we can encourage them. Even the language about your body is a, the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's your plural body singular in the original language your, all y'all's, body. The church is where God dwells. The church is the temple. Yes, the Spirit of God is in you, but also the Spirit of God is in us collectively. This is why gathering together matters. This is why unity matters. This is why it's worth having hard conversations and walking through difficult things and doing everything possible to stay together because the church is God's home. It's where we encounter the work of the Spirit. We have to continue to fight for that. And it's the Spirit who enables us to cultivate that kind of unity. Third thing we see here is that the gift of the Spirit doesn't simply enable them to speak in other languages, but specifically enables them to declare the wonders of God, enables them to proclaim the gospel. That's what Peter does. And as a result, 3,000 people are added. It's exactly what Jesus said. The Spirit will come and empower you to be witnesses. And in Acts progresses, it goes from Judea, to, or from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Exactly what Jesus said is how the book of Acts unfolds. It just goes. Witnessing to the gospel. See, the Spirit is the person who empowers us to witness to the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit is the one that empowers us. Rodney Stark, who's a, a sociologist at Baylor, wrote a book called The Triumph of Christianity. And he estimates, and he rejects the numbers in Scripture, so just forgive him for that. Um, but he, he estimates that in 40 AD, there were 1,000 Christians in the Roman Empire. So 40 AD, he estimates there were 1,000. We know there were more than that, but he thought there were 1,000. By 350 AD, so 310 years later, there were 32 million. From a few thousand to 32 million in 300 years. How does that happen? Mostly what we want to say is we want to think, oh, that's because of Paul, or that's because of like, big events and tent revivals, if they had tents back then or something. It's, it was probably because of like, incredible leaders and dramatic events. But he says, no, Like, that was part of it but it was actually a very small part. Instead, the reason the gospel spread is that ordinary people shared the good news of Jesus with anonymous friends and relatives and neighbors and coworkers. Everyday people living their everyday lives in extraordinary ways. That's how the gospel moves forward. As they're empowered by the Spirit, they share the gospel, friends, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and the gospel spreads. This is how the good news goes out. This is how the mission of God moves forward. It's not from like pastors and professionals. If visions like to see a community shaped by the gospel for the new of all things stay with the pastors and the staff and the professionals, it'll never happen. It just won't. The gospel moves forward because of a community of people brought together by the Spirit who live their ordinary lives in extraordinary ways. Hospitality, generosity, kindness, love, grace, and sharing Jesus with the people who are already in our circle of influence. It doesn't have to be the stranger on the plane. Those conversations are awkward anyway, (laughs) right? But who are the people in your life? that the Spirit is empowering you to witness to the resurrection of Jesus in their lives. Last thing, when Peter answers the crowd, what does this mean? He quotes Joel 2. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. On all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Notice the language. All people, young and old, men and women, sons and daughters. Young and old, men and women, sons and daughters. Everybody is in on this. Everybody is in. See, the Spirit is the person who empowers all of us. Not the elite, not like the more spiritual, not the professionals, not the people that have gone to seminary, not those that have some sort of like credentialing or licensing or something like that, not those who, you know, spent five years in Africa and not those who didn't go there. The Spirit empowers all of us, empowers all of us to live differently, empowers all of us to cultivate unity, empowers all of us to witness to Jesus. So if you are in Jesus, then the Spirit of Jesus is in you. If you are in Jesus, then the Spirit of Jesus is in you. You're not excluded in any way. The gospel comes to all of us, and the Spirit of God comes to all of us. So all of these things, the idea of witnessing, the idea of living differently, the idea of living into unity, are invitations for all of us to participate in the work of the Spirit of God that is at work in us. You are not excluded. You are not too old. You are not too young to have significant impact in God's kingdom because the spirit of God is at work in you. It's not, well, I'm a female and that person's a male. No, the text says that's not how this works. If the spirit of, if you're in Jesus, then the spirit of Jesus is in you and you can fully participate and all these things because of God's grace at work. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of your spirit. And we pray today that the spirit of the living God would fall afresh on us. That he would melt us and mold us, shape us by the gospel, that he would fill us and that he would use us. That we might live differently that we might cultivate unity, and that we might witness all of us to the power of Jesus' resurrection in the world. In your name we pray, amen.